What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for checking it out. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, you say a few nice words, you give the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts which will give it more national and international visibility. It'll help strangers find the podcast. It's a great way to grow the show and get more exposure for the folks that come on the podcast and uh, just a killer way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. I appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. I know there's a lot of reviews up there, but uh, you know we can always use more, and I, I cannot stress the importance of... Uh, those reviews and and how uh, critical they are to helping uh, grow this thing. So um, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Got a uh, an end of the year wrap up episode. The best of 2019 is uh, what is in store for you in this episode of the podcast. So I'm stoked to uh, to share that up with everybody. Usually. Um, I'll kind of take a clip from every episode that happened throughout the year. But uh, I'm switching it up this year, trying something a little different for the uh, 2019 Best Of. And uh, just kind of cruising through five of my favorite episodes that happened this year. And uh, it's pretty spread out music-wise. Got a few Portland locals, got a couple uh, touring artists, and uh, just hoping that this encourages you to uh, go back and listen to uh, some of these episodes, some of my favorites throughout the year. I think um, all of the artists included in in this, uh, this best of episode, not only did I really enjoy these conversations, but also the music that these uh, artists make. So it's definitely a combination of both of those things. And uh, narrowing down my top five for the year was was not easy. And there was definitely there were definitely some ones that I would have liked to include it on this and and worth some some honorable mention. And uh, you know, one of the things I'm really stoked about this uh this calendar year was the uh amount of band hangs that we had and um i feel like navigating those those band conversations are are a little bit different than having those uh solo hangs with an artist and just trying to figure out how to include everybody and um i hope that that is something that i have gotten better with over time and uh just really Really pumped on all the band hangs that, that happened this year. So, um, yeah, bands like The Get Ahead was a killer episode. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, Super Ocean was so fun and had a lot of laughs with that. So, um, 
yeah, just just a lot of great episodes this year. Um, there was a couple episodes that I did with my buddy Chris Frank from the Frank Irwin Quintet. I recommend checking out both of those. Those were a lot of fun and uh, just always enjoy hanging out with, with Chris Frank. That dude is such a unreal musician. So um, definitely check those out, especially if you, if you dig jazz. Um, on a singer-songwriter level, Luke Hogan was uh, another great episode and a, a really fun chat with that dude about how he got his, uh, how he kind of traded carpentry work to build a studio um, for the engineer that he was working with. And, and that was a really cool story and uh, really enjoyed chatting with Smythe, the young MC. That was uh, one of the more recent episodes. That was a, a really fun chat about hip hop and production and, and getting into rapping and whatnot. Really dug that one. So there's lots of killer episodes to, to check out that, that happened throughout the year. I uh, encourage you to go back and listen to as many as possible. Um, before we get into episode 194, this best of 2019 episode, I do want to shout out the uh, a couple calendar dates. I've got a couple January DJ sets here in Portland, Oregon. One of them is on January 10th. That's over at Jinx, which is a new bar off of uh, 33rd and Killingsworth. So stoked to be over at Jinx for the first time. DJ Ernie Moose Johnson doing the thing. And uh, January 22nd, I will be back at Church Bar spinning the digital jam. So stoked to be uh, heading back to church. Been getting... uh, been getting a decent amount of those DJ sets in. It's been a lot of fun and uh, stoked to keep doing that. So keep those in mind. January 10th, January 22nd. If you're looking for a place to hang out and do some drinking on those nights, you should uh, you should come kick it with me. And uh, don't forget to check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel. It's got a bunch of uh, in-studio and live show performances on there. Tons of videos up there across all the genres so check that out dancablepresents.com is the central location to uh keep up with everything going on and that is where the new episode pops up every friday on the website there or if you just click subscribe wherever you're listening to uh then you will know as soon as the episode is available too and you don't have to go hunting it down every single friday so uh so do that get with that uh we're gonna kick it off with um with a band called stoner control from here in portland oregon this was uh one of the early conversations back in january of this year episode 148 is the the stoner control episode had a uh a really cool hang with these dudes in the basement of the library uh RIP to the library, which was a a really cool venue that I had the opportunity to book all of this year. And it closed down in October due to some unfortunate circumstances, which were uh, out of the the venue owner's control and and just kind of bogus. But nonetheless, it was a a really great experience to get to, uh, to book a room this year and get to curate it. And I also got to use that space as kind of the home base for the for a lot of these podcasts this year. So definitely missing that space in general. Um, but yeah, so many good shows 
that happened throughout the year there and um one of those was a stoner control show that they they played on with uh a band called super ocean who i mentioned uh prior to this and um yeah, this was a chat that we had in the the basement space there at Growler's Tap Room on Hawthorne in the old library venue. And we're going to kick the episode off before we get into the conversation. And uh, basically, you're just going to hear about five to ten minutes of these uh, these episodes and uh, with some, some interludes in between. So uh, we're going to jump into this thing, man. Episode 194, the best of 2019 episode. And uh, this was uh, a song that Stoner Control put out over the summer. It's uh, it's the most recent music that they put out. They put out this, uh, this single called Open My Heart. And there's a B-side to it as well called Origami Undone. But uh, we're kicking it off with Open My Heart from Stoner Control. Let's do the damn thing.
Kelly, did you pick up music at a pretty young age? You've been writing yeah. songs for a long time? Um, well, I took piano from like age six to like 12-ish, and then I always wanted to play guitar. I was never that into piano, and then once I started playing guitar, like within the like six months of playing, I wanted to start writing my own songs, so... I don't know how they were. They probably weren't that good, but it was always something I wanted to do. Were you always uh, pretty comfortable with being kind of like the front person of of um, a band or, or singing songs in yeah, front of people? Um, not really. It was never something I thought I could do. And I think there's a lot of like kids aren't encouraged to like sing if they're bad, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, you can't <laughs> sing. You should stop. So I was always told I drums. couldn't sing, so I kind of... S- didn't think I could, and then when I started playing with Roxbury, he's like, "I'm gonna sing for now until we <clears throat> until we could find a singer who was like actually good." And I we just I, I started to like it, and you know, start to get you start to get better, and you know, you're like, "Okay, this is cool." Yeah, and how uh, like how quickly after you guys started kind of like fucking around playing music together that you wanted to kind of pursue stoner control a little more intently instead of just having it be this side project yeah it happened really naturally honestly like immediately when mike and i started playing together it just worked in a way that that my other band wasn't i wasn't gonna end that other band that just kind of ended naturally you know well and not wh- before you had a better band to leave right for. yeah yeah you <laughs> know it wasn't, well, it wasn't like that it wasn't like well i'm gonna <laughs> stop because this other band's way better but it just kind of worked in a way that that other band wasn't and i think when you get in with someone who that happens where it's kind of effortless like that's really important and you should like capitalize on that mike is also pretty magical and charming <laughs> not to make ma- yeah. let the record yeah. show <laughs> I, let the record stay i understand <laughs> well right back at you it's buddy. very mesmerizing <laughs> what kind of drew you into to charlie's songwriting mike when you started playing together yeah i mean it really aside from the fact that like i just enjoyed hanging out with charlie so that worked pretty well but musically it, it reminded me of kind of what re- this current band reminds me of like this current iteration just the music i grew up on in the 90s um charlie was throwing it back to a style that i remember making mixtapes from you know like recording off the radio yeah like, absolutely dual cassette tape <laughs> we're probably that, around yeah. the same age probably <laughs> yeah. yeah i remember pre uh napster and all that stuff and just yeah making mixtapes of like really cool early 90s music pre-burning cds exactly (laughs) you had to have the the, i remember specifically like it was a casio and it had two cassette decks and you record one and then you mix the whole thing onto the other one man that was capturing radio jams and shit (laughs) waiting to see when the song starts and pushing record right then then missing it up and like recording halfway through a song yeah and you'd be pissed off if they played like a short version or like a dj (laughs) cuts and you're like dude right oh Dude, you fucked up my take. Like, yeah, or if they start like damn. playing it as he as like an outro for whatever the DJ's talking about, and you're like, yeah. oh man, I was ready for this song, and I have to <laughs> figure out exactly where to go back to. But yeah, I mean that. So the, the songs that Charlie was bringing to me and, and the vibe that he had just reminded me of music. Like I remember the first band I was in growing up was the lead singer put this band together. He essentially wanted to be a cross between Third Eye Blind and Eve Six. Perfect. And I was like, cool. Oh, I mean, I, I want to play. Dude, we're still that. that <laughs> Dude, is like that literally yeah. still twenty some odd years later, bring it full circle. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how how much younger are you than I think these we're guys? like five years younger. You're, I'm 24, I'm 31, so, so you're seven years younger. So, yeah. so was that stuff that you were listening to though? Um, like like that like that era of of late 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. music. Yeah, Did I that mean, have a big impact? Definitely, I still am listening to that same stuff. I think 
like when I hit up Mike, it was like, just this is a Green Day cover band, basically. Just think of it like that. Yeah, and we're it's like, in my notes, man. That, that like <laughs> this, this music reminds me of, of stuff off like Kerplunk and, and yeah, Dookie definitely. That and, was like what made me want to start this band was like Kerplunk and Dookie and like let's just like not fuck around and just make like a really fun fast song. Yeah, Trey Cool. I mean. Still yeah. one of the most seminal drummers. In Mike my does the best Trey Cool out of any <laughs> besides Trey That's Cool. High praise. Yeah, he's like Trey Cool. If yeah, he's the other Trey Cool. Yeah, besides Trey. super Trey Cool. That's Stoner Control, everybody. Uh, they've got a couple records available on all the streaming services as well as their Bandcamp, including those two new singles. So go find more tunes from them if you dug what you heard. I will make sure to put all the links in the episode notes. So you can follow along with the artists that you dig on here. Give them a follow wherever you're listening to music or um, on their social media. Those uh, numbers are helpful to them for visibility and getting on playlists and such. And so much music is free now. So uh, that that is a way that you can you can help support a band by doing something like that. I uh, mentioned that there were a lot of fun band hangs this year, and uh, the Stoner Control one was definitely one of those. And uh, this this one that we're going to jump into next, the, the Rad Trads from New York City. This was a really awesome hang at the Doug Fur before they're set there. And uh, the Rad Trads, man, this was one of the best live shows that I saw all year. The musicianship in this band is uh, really unreal. Um, all these guys take the lead on the vocal at some point in in the set, and uh, the harmonies are absolutely killer. And I just had so much fun hanging out with these dudes. They were uh, all so incredibly nice and it is very cool when uh, when bands are willing to take the time while they're on tour in between their sound check to to do things like this because it's usually a uh, it can be a chaotic and and busy process depending on how early a band gets into the venue with with loading in every everything and and uh, it's just really sweet when uh, when they take the time to do stuff like this and. Uh, very appreciative of the amount of touring bands that I've been able to get on the show this year, whether it's meeting them at a venue or, or jumping on the phone with them. So uh, this was another one of those. This is the uh, this is the Rad Trads from New York City. And uh, if you want to hear this full episode, this is episode number 171. And uh, before we get into this clip of the chat, we're going to play one of my favorite songs in the Rad Trads catalog. This is off of their On Tap record, which uh, is available on vinyl. I have I have one of these uh, one of these vinyl copies of this record and uh, this is one of my favorite tunes off the record. It's called My Place. Well, they throw away 
bag that somebody left on the ground. Good luck unto you was was the first track I heard from your guys' band and I know John you're on the you're on the vocal on that one and yeah uh, just immediately got the band vibes you For know sure. right away and I mean I feel like I feel like John is kind of this this hybrid of Levon and Springsteen hey. all at the same time you know like doing doing the singing drummer thing and ask I'm him who he likes I'm gonna take a recording of you saying that and just play it over. And over again to myself before I go to bed every night. <laughs> no, I dude, and, and uh, I'm always very drawn into a drummer's perspective on like vocal takes and, and stuff like that. I just always feel like there's, um, I mean, it's so much more rhythmic. Yeah. Obviously, like just probably a naturally yeah. thing. Um, when you're writing songs, are, like, are you starting stuff on the kit ever? Or, or is it um, usually on a melodic instrument for yourself? You know, that's a great question. I think of all this, however many songs I've written, I've never once started it at the drum set. But I 
I, something I would like to do very much. I think it'd be really interesting to like come up with if I got like a multi-track thing like you have here and like come up with a weird beat and then start a song based off that. That would be really fun. I've I just haven't. I living in New York, I never have a drum set set up. To be honest, I'm just like you know, <laughs> it's just a lot logistically. So aside from just you being on the kit and singing, those those band vibes are kind of there. But I think also just right away, I kind of. I felt like it was very much a family band mentality of, of listening to the For music. Sure. And uh, I think that uh, it just comes across to me that, that you all are having a lot of fun with what you're doing, even in the, in the recordings. And I think that's kind of hard to achieve sometimes to capture that energy. But I don't know, to me, not knowing you guys at all, it just seems to come across that way. Oh, thank you. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And that's definitely the goal. Yeah, it was that and and kind of just starting as wanting to play music in bars. I would imagine it's just a really fun group of, of guys that all just really yeah. get along and enjoy playing and music. That, that, that's the part we didn't tell too is all which is we were all really close friends and just liked being around each other and hanging out. So it just felt natural that way. And then everybody's taking the lead. Ex on on the vocals except for Michael, he is now. He's yeah, got he's a song. So, so, yeah. He's got <laughs> so a song, now, baby. Now everybody was everybody before they got in this band f singing lead in in other projects that no. they had been into, no or one. is this just Alden, kind of Alden was the only person that had even performed live singing to people. Like for all the rest of us, our first time singing in front of people was in this band. And Which singing in front of, of each other. That's, yeah. <laughs> dude, that's so cool. And now yeah. all of you sing lead. Yeah. yeah. Really amazing. And I think that's one of the, I think one of the cool things about the band, which I could turn into like a bigger, cheesier thing, but like that, I, I feel like for all of us, like seeing, I remember when I started writing songs and singing and performing, like I sounded, first of all, I sounded terrible. Second of all, was that I like really, um, I felt like if I could bring a song in and I was the drummer or one of two drummers that that could like, I, that maybe that would get other people to feel comfortable to bring in songs and try that out too. And that, and I feel like, but that's, and then ever, and other people sing lead and encourage people to sing. I was like, if I can sing, if I can stand up there and pull off a performance singing, then you most certainly can do it. And the, um, the, I feel like that's something that I, uh, like, when other musician friends who haven't sung or written songs, like try to encourage them to get into it or just people in general, like to sing or scared to sing. And obviously you don't want to hear everybody in the world sing, but um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I think it's kind of, we live in this culture with like the voice and like the sing off and all this stuff and like all this, like, Oh, I don't have the perfect voice. And it's for me, that's not what it's about at all. So I would rather hear some more unique singers out there than all these perfect voices all the time. Well, it's, I mean, I think it's feel yeah. that comes across as authentic, right? Like sure. that's where the authenticity lives when, when it's all like just feel and not perfection of like who can sing the best necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike, did you feel, um, like it was a super open environment to, to kind of test yourself as, as oh, yeah. a lead vocalist? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would say, I guess I won't really speak for Alden cause he's been singing a lot longer, but the. I feel like all of us started singing because we wanted kind of coming from a compositional place. It was more like I wrote songs and I liked doing that and I wanted to do it with the band and then quickly fell in love with singing once you do it. It's a pretty cool feeling. 
it's, it was very scary at first, but once you start doing it, it's kind of addictive. And uh, but yeah, it was obviously very supportive. Everyone was. We all learned together. Like John said, I think in the beginning we all sounded a little rough, and then slowly learned and got better. Still getting better. Still, still working on it. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, did, was it a pretty natural thing that everybody kind of started singing backups right away too, just to kind of be a part of the thing, or did that come along with time as well? With time, a lot of yelling at first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were more yellers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always been very open and to doing whatever. This band is very—we're not the most like deliberate band in the world. We like we have this clear vision and we're going to execute it perfectly. It's always just kind of like exploring and trying things out and being open to new things. And do you, do you think that that dynamic kind of comes naturally because there are so many songwriters in the band too? Yeah, yeah, I think so, for sure. And I think everyone's really open-minded and respects each other a lot, which I think is important. You know, like. Yeah. yeah. Who was who was talking about how there's two kinds of musicians? There's the plan and the pants music. The plotters and the pantsers. That's yeah. Yeah. Oh, plotters and I, well, I read I don't some know article this. about uh, about. I think it was talking about Game of Thrones. It was about TV shows, uh-huh. and they were talking about how certain TV shows are either like a plotter or a pantser. Pantser being flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Like so, like Lost would be an example of that, where. They just keep creating these twists that are impossible to resolve, and then the ending <laughs> is very unsatisfying. And then there's other things where you they ha- know everything that's going to happen from the beginning. And there's different kinds. Of, and I like to think about musicians that way. I've started doing with everything. All my musician friends I know I now can be like, you're a plotter, you're a pantser. You're like yeah, on a spectrum of between hitter, it. Yeah. 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 No, we're definitely no. pantsers, and we're trying to become a little more. Well, I'm a plotter. You're a plotter? I'm a plotter. Oh. For sure. Collectively, yeah. I feel I like know, I pretty much know every note I'm going to play all the time. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, I no like idea. it that way. Yeah. So everyone's different, you know. Does but I do, I do feel sometimes lonely in this those band. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mike, then how does, how does that translate when, when you're kind of bringing a song idea to the band? Are you um, a little, do you kind of have an idea of where you want the song to go? And I... I do. Like I said, I'm op- absolutely open to whatever. But I think I usually come in with like parts. And sometimes they don't work and will adjust. And definitely after playing a long time, everything adjusts. But uh, yeah, I think I, I usually, when I bring in a tune, know what I want people to play. I would have to say for me as a drummer, I think Mike's being a plotter has helped me tremendously because I was 1,000% pants. <laughs> and... Uh, I've really grown a lot and I and it's always something like that's a place for me to keep going to grow like switching over to the plotter side and trying to think that way and trying to plan that way and then trying to come back and like if I feel like I need some more like I can lean on the pants sometimes because that's going to come naturally and easy for me you know but yeah try and really grow on the plotting sides help helps me bring out whatever if i can find any quality in the pants side well when you come from a jazz background jazz is a 100 percent pantsing music maybe not 100 percent, but 85 percent pants i feel like that's why jazz music- musicians like play jazz because yeah. they're yeah. they are a pants musician that's, they that's an interesting play. question is like are they pantsers because they play jazz or do they play jazz because uh, they're pantsers <laughs> <laughs> man i don't know i mean I feel like 171 episodes deep, Mike. That's like pretty. That's a pretty fucking great question. Uh, No, but I think yeah, we all come from that perspective. So everyone, it's very improvisational with the band for sure. The pants analogy by Mike, pretty amazing, pretty great. 
Um, maybe one of my favorite things that has happened on this podcast, if not this year, the whole time. And also that it just continues to get brought up and referenced throughout the rest of the episode after, after we had that chat about it. So the rad trads, they don't have any, uh, dates right now, but, uh, definitely give them a follow. I know that they, uh, definitely try to come through the Northwest and seem to be on the road quite a bit so if you dug what you heard check that out they've got a really cool jam in the band session too aside from their on tap record so you can check out those videos online definitely recommend checking those out and then also mentioned in the somewhere in that episode are their paste magazine sessions which is also really cool because they play some some stripped down versions of the tunes so if you dug what you heard check those things out and uh, we're going to move right along into uh, another artist that I got to catch up with while they were here in Portland on tour, Your Smith. This was, uh, this was an artist I found on my, my new music playlist on my Apple Music. And uh, that's definitely something I usually try to check in with every Friday. And... Uh, I've found a lot of great music on there that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. Um, last week's episode with Lonis, episode 193, that was the result of finding something on one of those new music playlists and, and just finding this independent artist out of Nashville and getting to jump on the phone with him. That was easily one of my favorite episodes of the year, last week's episode, and Definitely would have included it in in this rotation if it wasn't last week. But um, yeah, that new music playlist has been very clutch for me this year. And that is where I discovered Your Smith, who I just absolutely fell in love with her tunes. She is uh, making some really cool music. And she came through the Crystal Ballroom here in Portland a few months back. And she was opening for K-Flay. And I got to chat it up with her in the uh, the green room before she went on for her set. Her set was amazing. It blew me away and uh, just loved everything that she was uh, doing on her own. I'm very eager to see what her set is like this uh, on this current tour. She's, she's heading out again. She will be in Portland, Oregon on January 11th at the Doug Fur, which is my favorite venue in town. So I'm really stoked to uh see her come back so if you dig what you hear from your smith you should definitely follow her because she is on tour all over the nation if you are not listening from the portland area and um yeah she just had a rad energy the whole chat was was just very fun and uh super cool i really appreciated her taking the time to do this and and just uh another one of those kind of bizarre things where you just find out about somebody on the internet and you uh you hit them up and sometimes they respond and this is one of those ones where uh i got a response and i was i was stoked to uh chat it up with caroline aka your smith so let's uh let's get into this this is uh from episode 180 and before we get into the uh, the chat, we're going to kick it off with my favorite Your Smith song, which is called Debbie. So sweet, she's original, 
the beginning of how music hooked you in and how you got into all this this sure. racket. Yeah, this this gambling addiction. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've always people always ask me like when I started playing music or how I got into it, and I don't really remember how I started or when or why. It just was always something that I did. It was kind of like to write a song, like writing songs was just always kind of like my vocation. So instead of like journaling, I, if I was upset or stressed, I would write a song and I was always doing, I, and arguably to this day still am, like I was always doing an impression of somebody else. And it's always been a little bit of a form of escapism for me. So when I was younger, I was writing folk songs because I was really into Jewel. Like she was my favorite <laughs> and like Sheryl Crow. And, Hell yeah. Um, and so I was playing acoustic guitar and like inadvertently learned how to play guitar. Um, and then it just kind of went from there. It kind of all just fell in my lap. Um, my mom forced me to be like, to make it a career. And my dad like pushed me to keep, uh, like getting better at guitar and stuff. So. Yeah. Did it, uh, come pretty naturally to you when you picked up the guitar? Yeah. Well, it. Uh, my my dad played guitar when I was growing up. My old I had older brothers that I thought were really cool who loved like Collective Soul and Pearl Jam, and I thought they were really cool. So I that they played guitar, so I wanted to play guitar. And I grew up in like a huge Irish family, so they would all play guitar at like shindigs or whatever. So I learned to play guitar so I could keep up with my cool brothers. Yeah, that's cool though. It's like a family affair. Yeah, playing, playing exactly. the music. Yeah, it never was like. I never, ever, ever once thought of like actually becoming a rock star, like or not a rock, not that I'm a rock star, but when I was a kid, like I, you know, I didn't have those dreams or those aspirations. I like went to college and shit, but it just kind of like happened to be that my life kept pushing me back into music. How would it kind of creep back into your life, like the music I, pulling you back in? It was always other people that were like annoying and pestering me to to do it. Like they were like, you have to do this, like. I had a drummer back in the day. Um, he was my drummer for a really long time. His name is Arlen Pfeiffer. Uh, still friends. He's awesome. But he kind of like took on this like weird managerial role for me. He was like, I'm I'm going to like open you a, a band email account. And I was like, okay, whatever. Because I used to just like play the 400 bar in Minneapolis every Wednesday. And then he started drumming with me. And then he's like, hey, dude, you have like a lot of emails. Like people want to book you. And I'm like, ah. he's like, can you just look through them for me? And I'm like, I don't, I'm so lazy and privileged and shit. I was like, no, like, I'm good. He's like, and then he just started doing it. He was like, are you for the 13th? And I was like, yeah, I guess. Why? What's up? He's like, okay, we have a show at McAllister College. And like, it just, like, <laughs> that's how it just kept kind of rolling. And then something, like, finally, like, it caught, like, my brain caught up with it, my heart caught up with it. And I was like, fuck, I guess I do really want this. And as soon as I was like, I do really want this, like, this is my vocation. I love songwriting. I want to do music. Then it all got really hard. <laughs> then, nothing, then nothing fell in my lap ever again. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. But the, the whole time, was it still always kind of that escapism that you yeah, got out I of the songwriting? Because I wasn't doing it for other people. I was doing it always for me, you know? So it was always like my way of, like being on stage is definitely like a, a way to escape what's going on in my life and stuff like that. So even when I was doing it for me, I still love to perform. It like that your Smith kind of reflects that where I become this, this other character when I get on stage and I'm not Caroline anymore, you know? Yeah. Did you, have you always felt really comfortable on stage kind of fronting a band or being the yeah. center of everything? Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I was like in the musicals and 
Like I always wanted people to listen to me sing. I I was always just kind of that annoying kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when do you kind of start shifting gears and leaning more into this this pop music that you're making now? It kind of started being. It it kind of started with. I'm gonna treat um, songwriting as a craft that I want to master, and I. I just always did it without thinking, and I was like, I'm going to do it with thinking now. So with your Smith stuff, um, I feel like I wanted to start over and change my name because um, I felt like I finally arrived to where I, I wanted to get. And the stuff before your Smith feels a lot like me kind of groping in the dark for who I wanted to be, what I wanted to say. I made a lot of like cringeworthy decisions as like a young person, naturally. I forgive myself, <laughs> and um, and so I just wanted a f- like a clean a clean slate with your Smith, you know. Is part of this uh, this project about the freedom to work with a bunch of different producers as well, and not totally. kind of be attached to the same yeah folks. I think someday I'll I'll make like a just a me and guitar album, but. Right now, I love, love collaborating with people. It brings out such, it just brings out different colors that I wouldn't have made with my own palette, you know? It's like blending everything together with somebody who you admire is, uh, it's really inspiring. And it, especially for like a writer in Los Angeles, and you have to, you know, my writing is like a nine to five for me. It's kind of crazy. So I can't imagine just sitting in a studio alone by myself those nine to five and just like going back to the same well for the same shit. Um, so I, I really appreciate collaborating with, with a lot of people and I'm, and I'm always meeting new people. I love being in a room with somebody I've never worked with and creating something out of thin air. Yeah. Do you think that it, uh, with all of those experience, each of them kind of like shifts your lens to moving forward, Absolutely. creating as well? I think, I mean, yeah, I think it definitely, it definitely, um, like helps me grow as an artist, as a writer. And, you know, you you learn little tricks from people when you're in the room, you know? Like, I work a lot with this writer named Jesse Thomas, who I think is, like, a seasoned songwriting pro. And watching her get to, like, a chorus or a turnaround line, I'm just like, holy shit, that was genius. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, like, getting to learn from her, you know? Yeah, just being in, in inspired and kind of infected by that. Exactly. How you can apply it to Yeah, and then I go craft. to another session and I use her trick and then I look like the damn genius. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun hanging out with Caroline. That was really cool. Like I said, January 11th, she's back at the Doug Fur here in Portland, Oregon. So stay tuned for that if you dug what you heard. Can't believe we're wrapping up another year here, man. This thing just flew by. The holidays are uh, have come to a conclusion, and um, yes, yeah, just stoked on everything that uh, I got to experience this year. Uh, we had the the Killer Four Twenty show was an amazing lineup. Super Secret Band, uh, Weed, High Pulp from Seattle. Tribe Mars, that was a really fun bill. All those shows at the library that I was talking about. I went to Spain. I got out of the country for the very first time in my life this year. And that was a really unreal experience to get to cruise around Spain for a couple weeks. Really, uh, really grateful for that opportunity. And uh, 
and just super appreciative to get to another year of connecting with all these all these artists it's been so rad to just get to chat it up with with a bunch of people that whom i i really respect their music and and getting some insight on uh where the tunes come from or how people operate is is just i don't know it it always provides this next level of attachment to the music for me after that and uh it's just something i really enjoy and it's why i keep trucking along at this thing and and doing it every week so i'm stoked to share this uh this next clip with you from episode 167 this was with producer sir nye and uh sir is just putting out an unreal amount of content right now that the amount of music that this dude is putting out is ridiculous i feel like he's putting out like a new beat tape or a record every every month or so there is there's so much to go find from this dude if you dig instrumental some some ambiance you know some of that action then you should definitely get with whatever sir nye is doing and he is also now a part of this hip-hop collective called stress whom uh i guess is coming out that the show is on release day so i i don't know how many people will hear this in time but they are playing the fourth annual dan cable presents holidays party which is today december 27th so he is a part of that now as as the dj for stress and he also djs for some rappers around town and doing dj sets and whatnot so um yeah this dude sir is 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 killer man we this was our first meeting we'd never met before doing this podcast and he and i just hit it off real quick became fast friends and had so many laughs during this conversation and i just enjoyed so much getting to hear kind of where his love for music comes from and and finding out how family oriented it is and and how so many different people in his family informed what he was listening to and influenced it and it just seems like this dude creates his own music with uh such an eclectic palette of things that he enjoys so uh really dug this one man really really enjoyed this one like i said had a lot of laughs with sir and and uh yeah, let's get into it, man. Let's uh we're going to play a song off of his Geek EP which came out this year. And uh this tune's called Adapt and then we'll get into the uh the clip of of Sir and I chatting it up.
so take me back to like you 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 find out your dad is, is uh, <laughs> relevant in the scene at, right. at some point here but like yeah. when do you start taking to music and, oh, and okay. start like kind of really diving in yourself where you're you know growing a, a music collection of right. your, your own and whatnot oh okay i got you so my musical influences are like kind of my family you know my mom really liked new jack swing okay um like r&b heavy and my dad really liked funk parliament like you know uh earth wind and fire he oh, really yeah. loved like classic stuff but as far as hip-hop goes i didn't really get into that until like like maybe 10 11 and like the thing is like my mom wouldn't let me really listen to it mainly because like we only really played stuff off the radio and off like when we were driving to school and when we were coming back and like i remember she would always play like Aaliyah and timberland and like timberland, i love dude. i love timberland, timberland and McGill. and so like exactly Ooh. like oh. and so I, I became like a big like missy elliott fan i became like just kind of really big into beats um kind of like when i caught into like my teenage years because we had like access to the internet and we had like a desktop computer so i would just start searching stuff um i really kind of fell in love with uh um pharrell and like what's funny is as i started getting older people different people were starting to take were starting to take me to school like my aunt she really liked 80s music she really liked you know cindy lopper she liked madonna she liked um, that big like synth pop, yes, like, Holland Oates. She liked, yeah. she liked, uh, she liked, uh, um, Prince. Like, oh my God, Holland Oates is the jam <laughs> for real. Uh, she liked, uh, man, she liked a bunch of different stuff. And then, like, as I started getting older, like more high school, middle school, my uncle would start taking me to school, and he liked rap. Like he, he rapped. He like, he liked all of that stuff. He got me into Wu Tang. He got me into a tribe called Quest. He got me into De La Soul. He got me into like all ready, the, everything all the classics. Current. Right. Too. And, yeah, and right. then my friend Bryce and me, we would just start researching. We would start like, you know, internet era, like just going on MySpace and like looking up songs. We would like find, like, I remember when the Carter Three dropped, uh, we found like the four versions of a Millie. <laughs> we would like, you know, we would just go and search up mixtape as, as much as we could. And then it became, for me, music just kind of like a collecting thing, you know, just kind of collecting what you liked. Yeah. At the time. No, I, di I dig that, man. Just that you had different people taking you to school, exposing <laughs> you to different things because um, I've always kind of felt like the only reason I've known about cool or different music yeah. throughout my years is because I've had so many, like friends that were listening to cool music right. and they were all into like much different stuff right you know? no, so like real. i had my my buddy trent put me on to like timberland and magoo like yeah. that's that's high school for us dude, you know dude. so like yeah, yeah. so i was turned on <laughs> to all that stuff by by him and then you know just just different people all the time just turning turning me on to yeah. different things you know and it's funny because like like i'll give you an instance the first time i heard shaka khan and like sade was like I'd be like, cause my dad, what he'd do whenever we had to clean the house, he'd put on Music Choice, and like we'd be cleaning the house, and like a song would come on, and like because it come on so much because of the repetition, I would just start singing it, and my dad would be like, "What do you know about Shaka Khan or Sade?" <laughs> I'm like, "Dad, like I don't know anything about. I know it keeps coming on this TV song. channel, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and like that's how like we would we would uh, we would listen and or like." My dad would know a song that we definitely have never heard because it came out before we were born and just put it on and be like, bet you don't know anything about this. 
and just play it and like it would become my favorite like my favorite song by parliament is knee deep um but like when i started getting into music um was really in elementary school uh i started taking this uh this drum class at Irvington that was free and my mom put me in it like not really to put me in it but so that she'd have like you know and I'd have an after school activity so that when she got off work she'd come get me and I loved it and I was like this is this is amazing and um after that I was like oh I know I know I want to do music uh go into uh middle school the thing is I couldn't do percussion because I guess all like my teacher just didn't want me to I don't remember the reason why I didn't drum but like he was like, oh, here, pick a woodwind instrument. And I was like, a woodwind? I'm like, okay, like you could pick sax. And that was all I knew. And so I wanted to like flex what else I knew. Uh, the teacher was like, yeah, pick like the flute or something. I'm like, I'm gonna pick the clarinet. I just picked it. And I was so upset with myself because I didn't know what a clarinet was. I just picked it because he was like, pick something. And I, I ended up playing the clarinet. Um, through <laughs> middle school up until my freshman year. And I, okay. I, one thing I didn't like, though, was that, like, you didn't really get to pick the music you played, of right. course, in band. Right. Like, the thing about middle school, though, was our band was awesome because we got to, like, our teacher would go and find, like, sheet music to, like, movies. Like, we played Pirates of the Caribbean. We nice. played, like, Harry Potter stuff. Like so Stuff that was actually engaging right. for you guys that exactly. you were, like, stoked to actually play and whatnot. Right. And, like, the thing about that is, like, he taught me, like, learning could, well, of course, learning could be fun. But, right. like, with music, like, we would know those songs already. Like, oh, make sure that you play this note right because it sounds like this. Something we were already familiar with. And But, like, in high school, it was all marching and just not fun. And I was like, this isn't it. And so I just kind of stopped and, like, kept the music theory part of it. Listening to... You know, the productions, I was going to ask you, like, how many different instruments you could play, because I was assuming, like, listening to some of those jams, especially, like, on, on the 58. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, you know, that was you, you know, playing the piano and mm -hmm. whatnot, on, or the, the keys on, on some of those, yeah. those songs and whatnot. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's 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 amazing that you have all these different tools to Thank work you. with, like, <laughs> for your productions, I would imagine. It's mm -hmm. just amazing that you can actually, you can, so you can play guitar. Yeah. How many? So how many different instruments can okay, you play, man? So <laughs> I could play. The, okay, I would say I'm like across the board, like maybe average at all of them. Yeah. Um, I can play the drums. I can play the saxophone. I can play the clarinet, the piano. Uh, I, I said guitar. I'm learning the bass right now. I'm learning bass guitar right now. Um, how am I forgetting anything? But that's killer, yeah. dude. <laughs> and and like obviously, you know, you said you're you're average at them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's being a little humble. But you can use them all. Let, let's say you can use them all as a writing tool, though. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, I learned um, as soon as I got back from the army, uh, I knew how to compose and write music. I uh, started taking music theory classes, and at PCC, and they were super helpful because like. That's how I would go about like creativity. I would start writing notes in on a sheet paper and just, you know, like knowing, oh, I wrote this song. I could give it to somebody. Because my dad was like, you can produce, but, you know, if you gave this music to somebody, I remember him saying this to me, if you gave this music to somebody, would a band be able to play it? Would other people, can you translate your music to other people? And that just kind of got me to thinking like about like music as a communication, as how it sounds to this and like, I don't know. I've always been like big on composing, so yeah, man. I think I think that's pretty apparent in in your songs and and whatnot. Yeah. And I mean, 
I don't know. Even listening to a song like Crown. Oh, man, thank you. I feel like that, when I listened to that song, it was pretty clear to me that that you are very influenced from by a very wide variety oh, right. of different types of music. You thank know? you. And, like, and that's obviously, like, obviously true from what you, you've told me, you <laughs> yeah. know, and like being in those, those different rides to school and, yeah. and uh, just being exposed to a lot of different stuff. Um, for as far as my influences go, I love movies. I love, I love stories in general. And I've always been, I don't want to call myself a cinematic person, but like, I love, I love how stories are told. And I love like looking up music to screen or to, uh, to movies like scores and whatnot. And I've always been a fan of like, uh, how, like just the thought process behind like putting music to you know to visual uh, media, and that's that's always been a beautiful thing for me. So like, whenever I make a beat, I try to envision what it would look like. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And uh, I'm I draw too. So like some for me like my like creating process is sometimes like I'll make a cover art to a song like uh, Crown. I ended up drawing that fish before I end up making the you know the project and like what's crazy is like that i don't know it kind of all kind of corresponds or connect sir nye man just getting his music education on the on the way to school every day is a it's a good way good way to do it um don't forget january 10th i am over at jinx bar spinning the digital jams and then january 22nd over at uh, at church bar so a couple DJ sets from me this uh, this coming month that I am super excited about. Thank you uh, so much for, for tuning into this thing and, and checking out some of my favorite episodes throughout the year. Thank you for all the regular listeners for continuing to support this podcast and, and showing love for it. I'm really stoked for uh, heading into episode 200. I think that there's going to be a lot of killer guests this year and um, hopefully some return guests from the past will make some appearances. Don't forget to leave your iTunes reviews. Can't stress the importance of that enough. I will put the links in the episode notes so uh, you can follow along, like I said, with everybody that was included in the uh, best of 2019 wrap-up. And to close out, the 2019 year we are going to uh we're going to jump into a part of the conversation that i had with tobias graves of the band soft kill this was episode 181 and for anybody that listened this year you know that this was uh this was the big one man this was my favorite episode of of the podcast in general maybe um I, th- I think it holds the most weight. I think it's the most important conversation. Uh, Tobias and I had, we had a lot of laughs and we, and we geeked out about a lot of music, but we also, uh, we talked some heavy stuff. We talked drug addiction. We talked recovery and, um, and rehabilitation. And this was just a, a really moving conversation. And I just appreciated the honesty, the vulnerability, the transparency that Tobias brought to this podcast and, and just uh, just really unloading so much information and uh, I think is, uh, 
it's something that maybe can change your lens about about folks and uh i think mine before this conversation was was already halfway there and then after having this it it was just uh it was just really refreshing and uh to to get to hear all of this from this dude whose music i like so much i met tobias and uh some of the soft kill members at this past year's pickathon and uh got to interview them there and i told tobias that i had this podcast i knew that soft kill was a portland based band so i asked him if he was ever interested in uh jumping on the mic a little more in a in a long form conversation and and we uh we hit it off and and he was super down and we ended up doing i believe the longest episode in the uh the dan cable presents archive we chatted for a little over two hours and it was it was just unreal man and i can't thank him enough this was definitely the most well-received episode the most shared the most downloaded this is uh yeah this was it man this was so killer and uh it's it's a real pleasure to get to kind of close out the year with this this one because it was so uh monumental and and uh, near and dear to my heart i uh really highly recommend checking this one out if there's one episode that i, I tell everybody to check out now it's it's this one i think this is the uh the one that kind of raised raised the bar at least uh at least for me and uh so just super super stoked on this and um just kind of blown away that four years has gone by since starting this podcast and um i'm i'm pumped to pumped to bring you more of it and uh i hope that I get to keep having some of my friends' favorite bands on the show. I think that's that's been a joy this this past year having a band like Soft Kill, knowing um, that a few of my friends really love this band, and and just kind of getting to surprise them with this episode. and And I think there's going to be more of that to come. and And I'm hoping to get Tobias back on the uh, on the podcast to talk about the new record that comes out early this year. Uh, it's called Dead Kids R.I.P. City. And um, we're going, before getting into the the conversation, I am going to play Tinfoil Drip, which is uh, one of my favorite songs that came out this year. It's, it's the newest Soft Kill single. And we're going to jump into that. And then we will play it out with uh, the end of the Soft Kill episode which uh this is another one of those ones that was recorded in the in the library in the in the basement space there and uh a really a really special chat so thank you so much for tuning in to the uh the 2019 wrap up appreciate the fuck out of all of you shout out to mountain air mike who has uh mixed down and engineered almost every single one of these episodes he's done them all this year except for uh this one that you're listening to because it's uh it's just a lot to put together and it's a little easier if i just do it on my own but uh yeah shout out to mike he's been with me from the beginning of this thing and super appreciative of him and forrest brennan who uh 
has been doing all the video work for the last three and a half years or so on on the show as well so um those guys are great and uh thank you to to all of you for continuing to tune into this thing signing off for 2019 this is soft kill with a song called tinfoil drip
I think we go in with the demos dialed to a, like 60 to 80%. So there's room for them to expand into something different. And that's like integral part of, like when you think, think about producers, like a producer is the person that goes in there and pushes the song to where it's supposed to be. And if you're super attached and you go in there like a big baby that's like, this is my child that I'm bringing to you. Yeah. Like, this isn't childcare, you know, this is, you're bringing it to school. Like, they're going to teach your fucking kid. You're and going to help other people understand your idea. Exactly. And that's a lot of times like, you know, you can't have this like deep personal attachment. Um, it's not like they're going in and saying, don't sing those words, you know? Right. It's more like, yo, that guitar, those two guitars are... They're conflicting. On, yeah, they're conflicting. Yeah. Like, do that and... Well, um, it's... Uh, I th do you th think that's also just part of growing as an artist, though, of, of, you know, letting some of those, that guard down of, you know, the, the original idea doesn't have to be... Yeah, I don't care at all anymore. Yeah. You know? I, I'm, I always make this joke where I go, I've written enough songs that I think are great. I'm not sitting here trying to have my voice heard on the same level anymore. Like, at this point, the art of making the record, like, I feel like I can play a role in it and not be the center focal point. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if somebody came, if Danny, our drummer, walked in and just went, yo, I, like, wrote this song and it was it. Well, fucking I'll go sing I'll write some words and sing on it and everything else can be you and like I don't give a fuck um, I haven't always been like that you know it hasn't it's hard to let go of that because as artists like you feel super defined like your worth is defined by what people appreciate and it's that sucks like that's I think like the best artists have had that buffer between that like they're able to just create and then like the whole side of the world where they digest and process and purchase and invest and blah 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 is separate and that's like its own little like rat race game you know what i mean but like in as an independent musician where you're really planning the trajectory of your project and the merchandise and the touring and like the label being right and understanding the vision and all the vid videos because blogs do not premiere songs anymore. They want to premiere videos. So right. now you've got to be a fucking videographer. Um, yeah. And, and that's just becoming like a huge part of it. Like everybody wants this, this cinematic piece now too. It's like not, sure. not just a regular music video anymore. No. It's got to be. Well, because you can go to Best Buy and buy a camera that can make something that looks like Goodwill Hunting. It's like you're at <laughs> yeah. that point yeah. now, you know, right. and like. It's that's that's a nutty thing too. And for me, I like gritty. Like the next video we're putting out is just VHS, like it's camcorder style through an app that you can download on an iPhone because we can all do that too. Um, but when I got my iPhone, I looked at it and said, "Yo, this is like a, f a 4K camera, whatever megapixel. I don't know what any of that stuff means, but I know that I can create content on this. Like, so why not push it? And I love working within the limitations of that stuff. Like, I wouldn't want the best thing in the world. I want what I have and I want, there's gotta be a ceiling to it and I wanna be, that's like we were talking about the Zoom recorder. Like I loved only having eight tracks and only having what those preamps could do and working within the limitations of that and also being impatient like pushed me to just smash it out. 
Yeah, do you think that the, that having those limitations and some parameters like that forced you to be more creative? Uh, of course, yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine, like, what Michael Jackson, like, worked with. Like, when he, he went in a studio and there's 64 channels on the board, and, hey, if we need another board, we'll just bring that into <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, like, when yeah. they bring another Neve in, like, what's up? Phone <laughs> it in. Um, I can't imagine that uh, shit. Yeah. I definitely, like, when you bounce a record down, like, the EQing, where every, everything has to exist still within this space... So you have to jam everything into this package. That's like what the mix down is. That's why so many bands in the studio finish something and go, this is it. And then when they get the mix back, they're like, God, certain things are lost. It's because not everything can fit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you really have like the, a genius mixer is somebody who balances that all perfectly. Um, limitations are the shit. You know, I, I, I don't, if everything was so simple, like I'd die. For real. Like, I would, like, if I had a billion dollars and I didn't have a child and everything was just handed to me, I would lose my fucking mind. You know, there has to be struggle for things have to, like, feel great. And things don't, like, as a drug addict, um, and I say, like, I'm clean, but, like, I'm always will be an addict. Just to clarify for anybody that's the gotharazzi that's out there. Um... (laughs) I uh, when you just do like at some point in drug use you do it 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 becomes your life completely and you do it so much and you stop feeling that high so everything has to you have to earn each of these things you know what I mean like in all in all of life all of life so um, for me it's just like balancing all the experiences and stuff like that and then making a record it's working with what you have before kind of getting more serious as a guitar player at 27 were you always writing some form of poetry or just like writing words in any fashion before that no the word the the first soft kill record i think i've always had a knack at just writing words and having it be like i think it, i look back on shit and i'm like that's just trash it's like throwaway, but it's you know Things are eloquently worded, or it's fine, it's there. Um, but I realized that when I actually had stuff to talk about, like when I started losing people, or I was really alienated from slipping like very far into addiction and getting into the streets, and I lived like a very criminal, psychotic lifestyle for a long time. And in those periods, you deal with so much loss and so much heartbreak and regret and alienation. When I started writing music coming out of that or during that, it was like when it came to do the words, they just poured out. And it was what it was. It was I, had a, I was able to put into words how I was feeling easily. Um, and there was trappings in that, too. There was stuff where I was like, yo, I say this word a lot. You know, I had to, like, work as a songwriter on that. But, no, I don't... I was always somebody that could just kind of do anything well enough. Um, if you showed me, I could get into it. I was smart enough, quick-witted enough. I was a hustler, you know? But I never put enough energy or effort into any of that stuff to have it be, like, part of my identity. I was never a poet. I was never a songwriter. I was never any of these things. What I was was... A heroin addict, you know, or a crackhead, or 
all the different drugs as time yeah. went on. Like that really was my identity. Like I don't want to downplay that. Like we, you look at these artists that are dying and you look at these people and you go, God, it's such a loss. But I'll tell you straight up, those albums that you hold on a pedestal and go, well, this is like who def what defines them. That probably was a very small blip of their life on the day-to-day. -day. Their day-to-day -day life is the the disease of addiction and you know the, the use of drugs because they're different things like they guess the use of drugs as they say in like the big book of na is a uh it's like a reaction to the disease you know what i mean it's just like it's part of it like the disease exists whether you're high or not you know and it's it's your whole polluted way of thinking and being attached to stuff it always seems culty like when people explain it but ultimately like really straight up I was realizing everything I was interested in, from sex, to guitars, to music, to whatever, mirrored how I uh, approached drug use, too. Like, it was all just to 10, you know? Extreme obsession, destroying anything around me but that, you know what I mean? I'm optimistic, you know? But I'm also realistic. Um, the type of addict that I am, if I relapse at this point, I lose it all, I'll be back on the street, and I will die. Period. You can't <laughs> no. go back in. There's no, like, they always say, I got another relapse in me, but I don't got another recovery. And I was like, whatever, old timer. <laughs> and then I went, oh, yeah. I That's get it. real. Like, at this point, my family does not deserve to be put through anymore, from my mom all the way down to my son. Um... And I can't even balance these things playfully. Like, I can't smoke a little weed. Can't take a shot once in a while. Like, I am down and out. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. That's just, like, who I am, like, addictive personality. I was born into this shit. You know, my mom and my dad are addicts in their own respect. And I'm not calling them out. Like, my dad smokes pot. My mom drinks. And they manage it, and they do their fucking thing. And I respect it. I can't play that card i can't roll those dice i hope we can do this again sometime yeah anytime i feel like we could probably talk for another two hours but i've had to pee for the last hour so yeah me too um, i drink like two coffees and a water and i've gauged how much i've said by like looking at you and i'm like yo i have not taken a breath <laughs> in five minutes no, like, you're great man you're great this is this is but yeah anytime it would be it would be sick really dope and shout out to the rest of the band and we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program it's, so, <laughs> it's a program yeah you nailed it that, that's it that's 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 the jam i don't know what that means it's whatever you want it to mean okay it's actually just the way that uh like my grandfather would say like the news program he always yeah, says like program. program you know just like that that old school is he illinois uh no no it's from california oh shit uh, okay Maybe born in Colorado, but either way, it doesn't. I just figured it uh, was like the weird vernacular. No, like, he's just like, oh, let's let's watch the news program tonight. So yeah, the program, yeah, it's a program. It kind of doesn't mean anything, but it means whatever you want it to. And I don't know, it's a good way to uh, just cap off every episode. Yeah, no, totally, it is. Do um, your thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna play it out with the uh, cry now, cry later, and uh, that's the jelly jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland. R.I.P. City.
It's a program? <laughs> I don't know what that means.